everyone, and welcome back to The Writers Co-op. We are your co-hosts. I'm Wudan Yan. And I'm Jenny Gritters. Wudan, Happy New Year. (laughs) Happy New Year. I mean, we are recording this pre-2021 in December, but I'm hoping that by the time you all listen to the episode, it's a uh, better better place, just a little bit, maybe, in 2021. Yeah, fingers freaking crossed. (laughs) I'm ready for a better year. By the time that you all listen to this, both Wudan and I will have taken, what, like two or three weeks off for vacation for the holidays. So Wudan, tell me, do you have any plans for 2021, like goals for your business or cool projects you want to work on? You know, 2021 still feels like the year that we still have to be desk bound as the vaccine hopefully gets distributed. So a lot of what I'm hoping to do this year is actually strategizing for 2022, which is so crazy to think like more than a year ahead. Identifying big projects, and I'm trying to lean more into developing my audio storytelling skills. And I think I'd love to write a little bit less about COVID. (laughs) What about you, Jenny? (laughs) Those are all good goals. It is wild to think that far ahead. I think I am actually for the first time in my life, maybe not thinking far ahead. So you may all know, I've talked about this a little bit, that I wrote a piece for the New York Times last year. It was sort of a big deal for me to get that publication on my list. And the piece was about motherhood and the maternal brain. Basically, like your brain changes a lot when you're pregnant and when you're a new parent. It happens to dads too, but very much so for moms um, or the birthing parent. So for that piece, I talked to a bunch of researchers and I actually didn't get to write about everything that I learned about. So In the past few months, I have been thinking about what to do with all of that. I'm also very passionate about writing about this since I am a new mom at the moment. So I actually have been talking to all these researchers again. I've been doing informational interviews. I just like wanted to know how things were going and what they thought was interesting. And it turns out that there's even more interesting stuff going on than I learned about before. And they were all really excited to talk with me. So now I have like, you know, 20 different ideas. And my plan for 2021 is to pitch a lot of those stories, especially about where maternal issues and neuroscience intersect. Like everyone's really busy paying attention to babies and development, but we just don't know a lot about moms and mental health. So anyway, Basically, I'm leaning into a new beat, and I'm feeling actually quite excited about it, which is new for me. <laughs> the past year, I have not been feeling excited about writing reported features. So that is my 2021 direction, in addition to like keeping retainer clients and working less than I did in the past. I love that. I love picking up on stories where you've left off. On that note, we have a final recommendation for you all if you're thinking of diving into some more writing work like Jenny is. We have been really loving the Creative Nonfiction podcast. It's hosted by Brendan O'Meara. Brendan gets into the craft and really digs into the nitty gritty process of writing. And we've been talking a lot lately about how writing skills are key to running a freelance business. And his podcast has a lot to offer in terms of skill building, I think. Yeah, agreed. It's on my weekly rotation, lots of inspiring stuff. And you can listen to the Creative Nonfiction podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast. Sweet. Jenny, okay, who do we have on the show this week? This week, I spoke with JC Tops. JC is an award-winning journalist, essayist, and she's also a ghostwriter, which is why we wanted to bring her on the show. You can find her bylines in various publications like InStyle, Cosmo, Glamour, Oprah Magazine, Wine Enthusiast, Slate, Business Insider. She's built her career actually writing a lot about wine and travel in the lens of race and mental health, as well as LGBTQ culture and relationships. 
tips. Ghostwriting. I'm really excited to hear about this. Yeah, JC and I mostly focused on ghostwriting during our chat because I think it feels like one of those sort of secretive freelancing topics that's been hard to learn how to tackle in a pragmatic way. Yeah, totally. It took us a second to find the right person to talk to us about this because it's a complicated world and you can't actually say what projects you're working on most of the time. Yeah, I think y'all are really going to dig my convo with JC because she gets really transparent about earnings and contract negotiations, all the things we love. So with that, here is my conversation with JC. JC, welcome to the Writers Co-op. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you for having me. It's super fun to have you here. To start, why don't you tell us where you are now and what you're up to in this odd pandemic version of our lives? I'm in New York City, so needless to say, we were hit extremely hard during the pandemic in the beginning. Publications started folding. Publications basically started cutting their freelance budget. So work pretty much fell off for me completely. So for the first couple of months during the pandemic, I just started cooking and hunkering down like everybody else was. (laughs) Things have picked up a little bit for writing in the last few months. So I'm getting back into writing and pitching and ghostwriting as well. So that's kind of where I'm at during this pandemic. (laughs) It's been crazy. Yeah, sounds pretty common. I think I've been talking to folks and like, it seems like things are picking back up a little bit in the new year, but slowly, um, but it's happening, hopefully. Why don't you tell us what your business looks like right now? So what specific services you're offering? I heard you mentioned ghostwriting. What else is on the docket that you offer to your clients? So ghostwriting, copywriting. um, I'm also a freelance journalist, meaning I do a lot of research and, and I pitch myself and pieces to other publications, like organically, not ghostwriting. My writing right now really focuses on wine and food and culinary and spirits. That's kind of in high demand in the last year. So I've had a lot of experience writing that over the years. So I've kind of been focusing on that. But yeah, and definitely a, a few clients, a, f- a few ghostwriting clients have picked up as well. Yeah, that sounds interesting. So let's talk about ghostwriting first. Wudan and I have been wanting to address this on the podcast and trying to find the right person who can sort of walk us through what it looks like, what the finances of it are. I should say I also did some ghostwriting and still do. And I know for me, it's paid really well, but it's been sort of complicated. So can you define ghostwriting for us and tell us how you started doing this sort of work mixed in with your journalism? Sure. So a ghostwriter is just someone who writes copy, like articles and editorials, speeches, books, etc. But that isn't given credit for that work. So in other words, the credit goes to the client or the person who hires you or someone else even though you've written the words. That's pretty much what it is. You're paid for your written work and you're also paid to (laughs) keep it quiet that you (laughs) actually wrote that. (laughs) My first time ghostwriting was a little bit funny because I didn't really know that that's what I was signing up for. (laughs) I answered a Twitter post. The post was like, we're looking for a black woman writer. And, you know, as a freelancer, just kind of always on the hunt for work. I submitted my resume and my um, writing samples and they got back to me immediately and they were like, oh, you know, your writing is excellent. Have you ever written like the voice of someone else? And it was kind of vague like that. And I was like, oh yeah, sure. I've done some copywriting. At first, 
I think a lot of people's mindset when you think of ghostwriter, it automatically goes to books. So I wasn't even thinking about like ghostwriting something else. I wasn't even thinking about that. And after a couple of back and forths, they're like, oh yeah, we're looking, you know, your writing's excellent. We think you can do this. The organization was a nonprofit and they wanted me to write an op-ed and they were going to pitch it out to publications as if the president of the nonprofit was doing it. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. So they told me how much they would pay me. And I'm like, well, this is great. <laughs> so yeah, and I just like, okay, sure, I can do this. And I signed the contract, we went on from there. And that was the first time I got my ghostwriting assignment. <laughs> it's funny to hear you say that because I think that's how I ended up <laughs> working on something like this was sort of accidentally, right? Like I didn't realize that they were looking for someone to write in someone else's voice. And that's what happened. It was, you know, both good and bad. Why don't you tell me what that looks like now for you? You know, are you still doing op-eds? Is it books? Is it a variety of projects? What is that ghostwriting? What form does it take for you these days? It's multiple things. I have yet to write to ghostwrite a book, but I'm very much open to that. <laughs> if anybody's out here like listening and <laughs> want to hire me for that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> But it's mostly editorials. I've done, I've ghostwritten some essays for celebrities. I've done a lot of celebrity work as well. Some brand, like I've worked with publications and companies on branding. And that also coincides with celebrities as well. Other like advertising, copywriting work. That's kind of where I'm at right now as far as ghostwriting. Interesting. Where do you find this sort of work, whether it's with celebrities or brands? Are you advertising that you do it? Are there certain job boards that you're on? Where do those things exist? Well, after my first ghostwriting project, I did put it on my website. I think it's really important that writers do that because wherever, you know, a potential client can find you, I think you want that, you know, said in, in on your website. Also like word of mouth, you know, like my second writing ghostwriting position was through an editor that I had published a piece through a publication and this editor recommended me to their brand writer. And they asked me if I would write to help out with some branding campaign with the celebrities. So word of mouth is a big one. I am a part of a lot of writing groups, online writing groups. I think it's really important to network and to find other writers just to basically say, hey, I'm doing this now. And any recommendations. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I think social media is a big one as well. Like social media, I've gotten so much work from social media, like a lot of job postings, a lot of, you know, do you know anyone who's doing this? So I think that's a really big one as well. Yeah, that's interesting. How do you decide to take on a ghostwriting project? You know, I think a lot of us are sorting through sort of a variety of priorities, right? Money, passion, stability, especially in journalism. Tell me how you decide, say you're scrolling and you see something on Facebook and you think, oh, that might be a good opportunity. What is it about it that's appealing to you if it's a ghostwriting position? I think the money is going to be different for everyone. But for me, since I started doing it, I realized the money is is great. I mean, you're talking you know, two, three, four times the amount of money that you make as just a freelancer, you know, publishing an op-ed in a publication or an essay in a major publication. So for me, it, you know, there are times where I'm like, oh, especially, you know, this year, for instance, 
where money's low, assignments are low. So if I get, a, you know, if someone approaches me with, with a project and it's a good amount of money, I've definitely been taking it on. What's also important to me is like the actual project. While I will sign on, you know, if the main purpose is money for me, but I also have to be passionate about it or who I'm writing in the voice of. Like I would never take a project for someone or a company that I don't believe in. Yeah, I I feel that. I think there's sort of the two-pronged approach there, right? But there's also that kind of issue of how much money is it worth to work on something that you don't love? (laughs) I think I talked to a lot of people about that, right? Like, is it $200 an hour? Is it $400 an hour? We each are going to have our own different equation on that. On that note, though, let's talk about money. You know, we love to talk about money on this podcast. So (laughs) will you tell me a little bit about how much you're making, maybe like the breakdown between the ghostwriting work and the journalism work? I know you said it's often paid, you know, three to four times as much, but what does that look like on sort of a a weekly or monthly basis for you? Well, this year, of course, has been an anomaly, (laughs) like everyone. Yep, um, totally. Yep. (laughs) My income has decreased dramatically, like millions of Americans. But so this year, I only I I kind of been averaging total income about $30,000 this year, which is it's a good thing that my wife is also still working during the pandemic because I don't know how I would have been able to survive. Of that 30,000, only about 40% of that was ghostwriting. Okay. Okay. So you're about half and half. Is that typical? That's not typical. So last year, I brought in about 65,000. 60% of it was ghostwriting. As opposed to me, you know, pitching and getting assigned articles. Tell me about that mix of journalism and ghostwriting and how they sort of come into play together, right? With conflicts of interest or maybe even your bandwidth, like when you're switching from one project to another, writing in someone else's voice and then your own. What does that look like for you, that split between the two? It's kind of a good thing for me because, you know, when I took on this, my very first ghostwriting project, it was you know, writing an op-ed, right? And I've written many op-eds and I was so nervous, so intimidated and like imposter syndrome basically just came on. And as I started getting into the actual, I had to like cipher through all of these reports to kind of, you know, write this op-ed. And I was, as I was doing it, I was like, oh, this is kind of what I do anyway. (laughs) Like, this is what I do. As a journalist, I go through research and reports kind of create my own opinion about this. So it's helped me a lot. As far as journalism, I've done a lot of interviews and, you know, like reporting. And even when I had to, you know, I, I do some ghostwriting for celebrities, a lot of the work I do with them is me interviewing them, trying to get a background on what I'm supposed to be writing to kind of like get a feel for what, you know, who they are. So it definitely kind of goes hand in hand for me. That's been a really good thing for me that a lot of my work I'm able, like a lot of the skills that I've basically used during journalism, I can use actually ghostwriting. Because at the end of the day, being a great ghostwriter is about being a great writer in general. So I think that 
you have to have that foundation first. Yeah, that makes sense. I have heard that you negotiate your contracts when you're ghostwriting, or that this is something that at least folks do to talk about when and how they could maybe say that they participated in the project. Can you explain that process to me? It feels like kind of a gray area, right? Like if you can claim the work as your own. Yeah, it's different for different contracts, but I think that most of the time you really won't be able to claim the work as your own. Sometimes if it's a book, I know ghostwriters who are given credit as like an editor. If it was print work as well, like let's say that particular article is published in print and in the masthead does talk about editing, you could possibly get that credit if you would like. I don't get credit at all for the work basically, but what I do try to get, and I try to ask them I, in negotiations, I talk about testimonials on my website. It's really important, I think, just to ask that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with asking, I think. And it's, it is a negotiation. It really does say something to, to have a, you know, a, a testimony from a previous client to add to your website. Yeah, I was thinking that I actually tell clients that often, even just for editing gigs, right? It's really hard to see sort of what piece of the pie you've contributed to. So having those testimonials helps. Do you have those on your website and what do you ask for when you're asking folks for testimonials? I'm kind of updating my website. (laughs) I've been like putting that off for a long time. I don't have testimonials on my website. What I do have though is I, what I've been doing and I think kind of works for me and it's, is asking if I'm able to use you as a reference because like it's a job reference, right? And the nonprofit that I worked with, you know, I made sure that it's like, hey, if I have, if I need a job reference, you know, who's the contact person? And a job reference is very, it's, it's vague enough where you still keep that privacy when it's like, oh yes, we worked with JC and she's a great writer and she, you know, did some editing and she did this and that's pretty much all it is. And potential clients know about the secrecy and the privacy issues. So as long as you have that, that's golden as well. And I kind of use that over testimonials. Yeah, that totally makes sense that they would also be aware of the sort of dynamics of privacy. So one of my first jobs after I graduated from journalism school was working on a project where I was told I would be the editor and I ended up actually writing huge chunks of a book project, which is now like a best-selling book. And I look at it sometimes and think like, (laughs) "Oh oh my God, like, you know, I wrote half of that. I wish I could tell people about this. And the whole process was really messy because I think it wasn't a clearly delineated role, right? There was sort of a lack of understanding about how I would be participating. So I tend to sort of try to iron out the rules a little more now if I'm working on a project like that. But can you tell me, are there red flags that you look for when you're talking to folks about a a new or potential ghostwriting project that you might be interested in diving into? The only red flag that I would have is if my contract wasn't explicitly, if it didn't explicitly say what my role is. When I am given a contract and I'm, you know, I think it's really important to read it thoroughly to go in and just kind of say, okay, well, number one, how much of the research am I doing? You know, a lot of ghostwriting projects, a lot of the research is done for you, but there are times where you've been doing a lot of the research. Well, I want to know how much is the research am I doing? And if I do more, is my rate going to increase? That's really important. I think the editing process is really important. Like, oh, well, how many rounds of edits am I doing? Or, you know, like, who am I doing these edits with? And so I think that for me, a red flag is 
if you won't negotiate in the contract, if you won't explicitly tell me like line by line by line, what is going on this project, then I can't move forward with this project. Yeah, it totally makes sense. It's actually like pretty similar to what we talk about even with journalism work or client work, right? Like scope creep and all these things still apply to me. They just feel like they apply even more somehow in a ghostwriting scenario, right? That brings me to a question I've been thinking about since I knew you and I were going to be chatting about power dynamics that are sometimes present in ghostwriting, right? Like you are writing someone else's words and they are claiming ownership of them in a certain way. Can you talk to me a little bit about that, especially as, you know, like a woman of color in this space who might be working with like a white man, right? Who's working at the top of his company. What does that look like for you? And and how do you negotiate that? Yeah, it is a really challenging power dynamic. The privacy nature of the business makes it really easy for writers who are already marginalized to become even further marginalized. And that's kind of scary. I know for me, like I haven't had any issues as far as the people who own the content changing the content that I wouldn't approve of. I have no idea how I would handle that. (laughs) That kind of scares me. But there are times where I think about like, am I getting paid enough? You know, like would a white writer get paid more than than I would or would a male writer? And that I just generally go to other ghostwriters and other writers for mentorship. And that's all I can do right now. I mean, because I feel like I think that's why it's really, really important to like network and get to know other writers and get really involved in these groups because that's kind of where you're going to find out the information that you need to find out. Like, am I getting paid enough? Am I doing too much work? Work that I'm not getting paid for? That type of thing. Or should I be getting credit in this particular area? It's just, you know, or should I be asking for more? So I think that's all I can do right now. I, I don't really... I've never been in the position where I had to seek something else. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I think, you know, it's that relationship building with others, right? That's super key here. Yeah, I mean, like, and especially other marginalized writers. I mean, I'm definitely a part of a lot of groups on social media as a queer writer, as a woman, as a Black woman. um, It's really, really important to kind of really foster those friendships, those mentors, because they can really help you navigate through some really tough times. Because, I mean, you know, I've only been, I've only, well, I've been writing totally for like seven, eight years now. But I just know, like, like, and to be professional and just go from there. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I think a lot of what you're talking about with contracts too and protecting yourself applies here. There's even, you know, journalism can sometimes feel secretive. I think ghostwriting feels like especially sort of siloed and secret, right? Whenever people ask me about it, they're like, oh, where, you know, where would you find this work and what would it look like? So it makes sense to me that you need touch points with other folks who've done it. I was going to ask you about mentorship. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that, how you as a freelancer have built skills and found people to help you out along the way, since it can be, you know, pretty isolating to work and write alone. Yeah. So social media has helped me pretty much through everything the last five years of my career. Just, you know, I follow a lot of journalists on on Twitter. I mean, I know a lot of people that really don't like social media or don't try to engage with it as much, but I think it's really important to utilize tools, especially free ones, like social media is free right now, 
And I think it's really important to utilize that. And, and you can curate that to what you need it to be. And I follow all these journalists and I pay attention to their threads. And, and when they're talking about like advocating for yourself and here's the pay rate for this, it's really important. And I've been doing that. I, I'm a part of a, some private groups, online writing groups on Facebook and other social media groups. I think that's really important too, because we're all in this together and we can all, you know, like they can help you find the resources that you need. I think this podcast and other podcasts like it are like, are great resources. I think it's really important to find resources to help you navigate through this because it can be a little isolating and daunting at times. Yep, absolutely. Do you think, you know, future planning is weird right now <laughs> because of the pandemic, uh, <laughs> yeah. but do you imagine that you'll continue to do this work that's sort of split between ghostwriting and journalism for the next few years? Oh, definitely. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun ghostwriting. It's kind of fun. It's, it's, it's a little like, oh, I wrote that piece, but I can't tell you I did that. <laughs> um, so it's fun for me. And like the money is really good. And freelancing, you know, freelancing, it kind of gives you the, the space to write about many other types of work, other types of subjects and things like that. And of course, this pandemic has shown you that, has shown everyone that like, you know, like we need to keep our options open. <laughs> so definitely, I definitely see myself freelancing and even ghostwriting for a while. Yeah, it's a, a ghostwriting is a really good anchor. I think we talk to our coaching clients a lot about having this sort of anchor ground floor gig that sort of stabilizes your finances. You can stack those feature writing or journalism assignments on top of it. So the way your business is built, it's exactly that, right? So love to hear it. It's a good thing. One other question for you about ghostwriting, which I would imagine listeners are going to ask because they keep asking me about this with brand work <laughs> is conflicts of interest, like navigating, you know, if you were going to write a story about something journalistically and there's a similar thing you've written about in a ghostwriting context, do you face that or navigate that? Or are the topics pretty disparate and separate that you are working on in those two buckets of services that you offer? So far from my experience, the topics have been pretty separate. A lot of the things that I've written about ghostwriting kind of covers the subjects, for instance, politics or race. But a lot of things that I've ghostwritten, I would never write about me for me personally. Like, you know, I would never pitch to an editor. So it's pretty separate for me. Yeah. I think there's something to not having the byline on it too that feels for me at least pretty divided from my journalism work, right? Like it's it's copywriting in my mind, sort of, when I'm doing that kind of work. Okay. Last question for you is about a tip that you would give. Tell me about maybe the best business decision that you've made or something you would tell to three years ago you as you were building up your freelance business. Oh, that's easy. Negotiate your pay up. <laughs> as a black woman, I'm, you know, I'm already marginalized in the industry. And so it's very scary when I hear people like, oh, you know, you should go negotiate your rate. Because I'm always afraid that that's going to be like this assignment's going to be taken from me if I just kind of come in and say, hey, what about $75 more? But I tried it and it's worked so far. Once you've gained the experience and I got several great bylines, I'm like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start asking for more money. So I think asking for more money, I think as long as you do it professionally, you have the chops to back it up, you have the experience, you know, that's that's great. I think always negotiate for more money. And that's kind of been a tip. And like, 
you can add that up at the end of the year and it's like wow i started you know negotiating more money and you know that 75 dollars that 100 dollars here and there like that added up and then you, you really saw the difference with the bottom line <laughs> that was great yeah yeah totally i talk to people about this as sort of like a staircase like you're not going to jump from 50 dollars an hour to 100 dollars an hour but maybe every assignment you get five dollars more an hour and it builds and it builds and it builds right absolutely I love that. Um, are you getting paid hourly or by the project or something else when you're doing these ghostwriting projects when you think about negotiating there? I've been paid by the project. Okay. We love project rates. I think Wadan did a whole soapbox moment on our last yeah. episode about <laughs> the benefit of project rates. How do you, you know, when you're proposing a project rate to a client, how do you think about that? Are you estimating how long it will take? What does that look like in your brain? Yeah, I'm, I'm estimating how long it would take, the amount of research that would take, like everything. I mean, I do look at it hourly as well, but the actual rate that I go into normally is a project rate. Because I think in my experience, my clients have just been more open to hear project rate, like how much I need to pay you and like, what does this entail? Yeah, I think it's almost easier for them from a planning perspective, right? To know. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, I don't understand this hourly thing. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you estimate like in your head how long it's going to take and then tack on a little extra? Like when you're sort of, when you're, you know, a new client comes to you and, and you're going to propose a project right to them, what's the math in your head? Yes, I definitely propose a little extra. And that extra just comes from everything. It, it can be taxes. It could be like, oh, I've never done this before, or I'm not, I don't have much experience in this particular aspect, or I personally feel the research is going to be more extensive. So yes, I do tap on a little bit more just in case. Okay. Last question. I know I said the other one was the last one, but now I'm just curious. <laughs> um, I want to know, no, I want to know if you're doing an op-ed, like a ghostwritten op-ed, what the ballpark project rate for that would be, just so I think folks can understand the financial win of this, right? Just an estimate from you. What does that look like? Oh, okay. So my very first project was an op-ed and it was $1,500. You know, an op-ed is only like 600 to 800 words. And that included like two rounds of edits. And my very first one, this is right out the you know box, it landed in the Washington Post. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, I love it. Yeah, I think that just sort of helps people understand, right? I mean, I think it does because like, you know, first of all, the Washington Post is my dream publication. I want to buy line there. So this is a little bit bittersweet for me. <laughs> I've pitched them numerous times and I know that like they only offer, you know, $150, $200 just as a journalist doing an op-ed. So the fact that I would get 1500 for someone else to have the byline, it's kind of amazing, I think. <laughs> yep, I think so too. And sort of proves that your writing is good enough to be in a place like that. Exactly. Right. That's how I yeah. look at it this whole time. I'm like, those are my words, not my byline. <laughs> yeah, totally. It is. I think bittersweet is exactly the right word for it. Like I look at that book that I ghost wrote that big chunk of and I think like, oh my God, I'm sad that no one knows I did that. But also like, look at what I did and look how much people are appreciating this and learning from it. So yeah, there's definitely sort of a confidence booster aspect to this that I think is important too. It's sort of like a safe practice ground that's going to pay you more, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like proof of your skills. Okay. Well, on that note, 
I really am going to make that the final question. <laughs> but JC, thank you. This has been really helpful. And we will include in the show notes links to JC's website, her work, and her social media handles in case you want to reach out and ask her other questions. So thank you for being here, JC. Thank you so much, Jenny. This is amazing. There's so much interesting stuff in here. I love that JC is so pro project rates. We've talked about that on the show and that she pushes for both contract and payment negotiation with her ghostwriting clients. Yeah, it's the best when people come on the pod and then yell about things that we yell about, like getting paid more. It's definitely our vibe. I agree though, JC has some really excellent advice to offer, especially when it comes to contract negotiation. And on that note, we actually asked her to put together a tip sheet on contract terms to watch for specifically when you're ghostwriting. So our members are gonna get access to that document this week. I always love a contract tip sheet. (laughs) Truly. I also think JC's perspective on relationship building as a way to sort of hold people in power accountable was a really on point idea. Yeah. And in so many ways, that's what we're hoping to do with this podcast as well. Like, let's just be transparent because withholding information is one of the ways that the people who are in power stay in power. It's how people who already earn a lot of money keep earning that money and don't distribute that wealth. If we all know what the going rates are, we can all push for them. And if we know that a publisher has a bad contract, we can all push back on these terms. Yeah, I think this applies in all sectors, but especially for ghostwriting, which just feels so secretive. Transparency about pay and having other freelancers back is sort of like revolutionary in a way. And that mindset feels really important to me. I also really dug what JC said about ghostwriting helping her build confidence. Like it's proof that you can do the work with your own byline too. I really feel like that has happened for me as well when I'm working on copywriting or ghostwriting projects. I really enjoyed that bit. It's a cool, unexpected addition to the benefits of ghostwriting, I think. And on that note, we should probably head out into the world. (laughs) That is 2021. 2021. We have two more episodes for you this season after this one, plus our secret episode for subscribers only, which is always a favorite. We can't wait for you to listen to that one. Hang in there, Wudan, and I will see you soon. All right. Bye, Jenny. Season two of the Writers Co-op is made possible by a grant from the International Women's Media Foundation. Susan Vallett is our editor and Jen Monier handles research, admin, and more as our producer. The Writers Co-op is hosted by me, Wu Dan Yan, and Jenny Gritters. Mm-hmm.